0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Abram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Oh, this is Closer Than Mishpacha. I'm here with Rabbi Eitan Kobri, someone that, again, as we've said, in many ways, our relationship is closer than Mishpacha. And for those out there, of course, it has a second meaning, which is that you're going to get an Eitan Kobri that perhaps you have not seen or is even stronger than the Eitan Kobri that writes in that venerated magazine Mishpocha. Eitan, how many years have you been uh, writing for Mishpocha now?
1: Uh, I started at the end of two thousand and ten, so uh, I'll be finishing up twelve years uh, come uh, December.
0: Yeah, and, and I think in, in many ways, the text messages and many of your feature articles uh, really have, in some ways, created the what Mishpocha magazine is about, especially for, I think, for Americans. I'm not sure exactly in Eric's history, but for so many Americans who I meet, and I tell them that I know Eitan Cobry, the excitement that they have over uh, your columns and and in your features, which you, you have. And we're going to talk about some of them that I actually collected here, because uh, we're really at the heels of uh, approaching El, And I, I collected a couple of your uh, articles about Ell, your... Uh, in your text messages, and I want to talk to you a little bit about it because I think that even though maybe some of them were written because you had a deadline to meet and you, you, but I think I in many ways anyways. they reflect your philosophy, your ideas, and uh, i'd like to tease them out a little bit stronger from you but before we get to that, are, are you thinking you know with the wealth of material that you 've written because you 've been writing from them for twelve years, uh, are you thinking of uh, compiling these articles into a book? Interesting, you ask.
1: Uh, was because uh, I, I had been approached by uh, a publishing house to do just that, but ultimately the decision was taken to begin with actually some of my features, and then I'd say the next month or so, I can announce it here first on closer the mishpacha, that uh, Mosaica Press will be uh, will be bringing out uh, a, a volume entitled Greatness. That's, that's the title, Portraits of Torah Personalities, Past and Present, some of them famous, but many others uh, much lesser known. And uh, it's a collection, really, of my features on Tamarich HaChomim, Gidole Torah of the generations, and that I've you know written over the years, and collection of about 19 or 20 such portraits. So that will be the first foray. Into the publishing arena, but uh, I hope to follow that with collections of of some of the columns over the years. Yeah.
0: Yeah, You you probably have to go back and re edit them, obviously, and some of them perhaps uh, there's some anachronistic aspects or things which are no longer relevant. And I know that's the work any good writer has of redoing and updating the Rambam himself. Uh, We have the original manuscripts of the Rambam, we see the amount of crossouts and changes they made. Did you find that you had to do a lot of work there? Or was it minimum? Well, like I say, I, I,
1: we didn't we didn't really begin the work on the columns
0: because we we gave the,
1: the Mishban haba'chera to the features, uh, so that's what we're yeah. coming out with. So, but but yeah, there's no question about it. It'll take a, quite a bit of work to put together a collection of columns and and to, as you say, take out the anachronisms and uh, make them, bring them uh, up to date and make make sure that they're
0: relevant. And perhaps also, since they are going to be a collection, I know that one of the things that you know signifies a successful book, I think both of us agree, is there's a certain common theme. And perhaps those are some of the strands uh, that you might uh, emphasize anew in order that a person could go from chapter to chapter, sort of recognizing the development. I, I do know one thing about your features, and I think that people need to realize that the features really uh, have a different tone to them. Than a lot of the dialectic and you know, sometimes barbs and you know, uh, really sharp language that you sometimes use in your in your columns. Um, the features are really investigatory, but also with a tremendous love and understanding of what you're talking about. And I and I note, and I've said this to you before on a telephone call that we had a number of years ago, you definitely like zeroing in on little known gadoluistraw people in america especially people who were able uh, to be great despite uh, what others might have thought uh, was trafe about this place it, am i right about that i i think that you like bringing that to the forefront that you know many people it's not your typical guddle story sure i mean
1: again I, I even when i do write about well known gadoluim some of the, the pillars of that those of us who Know and love so well. I, I've written about a whole line of them. You know, we're talking about Ramosha Feinstein, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, and Rav and Baron Cutler, and Rav Hankin. Um, but even even when I do write about gedolim like those, uh, I try to find you know that angle, that that particular you know something that will really set this feature apart from your standard biographies that so many people have read. But I do also look for those, as you say, those who ventured forth into America and, you know, uh, overcame odds and really built great things. And some of them didn't leave any legacy behind. I think in particular of Sviherz Grudzinski, for example, who will be in this forthcoming volume. They called the going of Omaha, you know, not talking about Warren Buffett here, La Yeah, um, sure. Elf of Dulles, but yeah. someone who... Whose cousin Rukhimiser had said that had he remained in Europe, he would have been greater than than, than he, you know. And unfortunately, there's almost nothing left in a Jewish sense of, of Jewish Kruzensky. But but again, we tried to to bring forth brushstrokes of, of absolute genius and, and, and sitkus and so on. So
0: yeah, we've and, and that are they're all the more all the more remarkable because they flourished in a place where you wouldn't expect them. And I, I look, part of it is the travelogue. Uh, aspect too you know going to a place where you didn't expect it and oh, look i know you i know you like the nuts and bolts of the unique scenery whether it's the bronx i remember the article you wrote about um life in the bronx uh, while you're growing up in the that era um uh-huh. you know i know you have a chavivas for communities that really aren't there anymore but people sure. don't know that people uh you know sort of believe that everything started from the here and now and didn't know yep, really yep. W- what preceded them and i think that's yep. uh you know, they once asked Walter Mosley, who was a, uh, a very successful fiction writer. He also did a little bit of nonfiction. He's an African-American fellow that people consider a great man of letters. So he wrote a, a series of detective novels about various uh, uh, sleuths and semi-sleuths in uh, the Los Angeles post-World War II. And someone asked him, you know, you're, you're young. How, how did you do that? How were you able to bring to life uh, an era that you didn't even live through? So he said, well, what do you think? You think I think the world started with me? <laughs> I went and asked questions. I did research. I found out. I spoke to people that were part of that. And uh, I, I think that's what's what's sorely missing in, in today's time is that sense of humility and recognizing. And I think that's part of what you do in your feature writing. Yeah, I try.
1: You know, I I try, and I and I and I hope I succeed in putting myself into retrofitting uh, myself uh, into an, an earlier time and imagining. It's it's almost uh, like journalism as acting, putting yourself deeply into a scene and taking on another persona. Yeah. And I I always say that I I actually <laughs> I become very emotionally involved with my with my characters with my protagonists.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I agree. And I've, I've actually questioned you about some of the stories, which I felt were you were sort of preyed to sort of a hagiographic uh, description. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might remember about a certain Rosh Hashiva and his wife that we were once talking about that. And, and I understand that, look, Eitan, at the end of the day, a podcast, a sheer what effect does it have on the person listening? So I- again, we'd like to think it's all as objective and pure as possible. But we know that a droning voice even though the material coming out is brilliant, it's much different than a lively conversation, a turn of a phrase that people remember. I think the same thing is true when it comes to these articles. You are an artist, you are a writer, you have to use your, imaginatory, your imaginative faculties. And we understand we're going to give you license uh, in that direction because we want you to have an effect. That's what allowed you know, uh, Kamilar to write such beautiful uh, monographs about the, the Olam of the Qasidin. Uh, that's what allowed Reb Zevin, in some ways, although he, he I think, Reb Zevin was able to bring in a lot of the lumdis and a lot of the, the, the his, his, his unique uh, way of analyzing the pieces. But of course, your imaginative uh, faculty is crucial, and I think bringing over any sort of information, which I think is sure. now we, I think we you know we can we can bridge to in your articles now. Unlike I think the L articles that I collected, many of them were sort of like a sub part. Of text messages i know that text messages is is in a way uh, i guess it's views about what's happening in the world today or something i'm sorry if i'm getting the, the words the byline wrong i know you probably came up with that title yourself right that was your title text messages right?
1: text messages yes and, and this uh, with the subtitle of reading between the lines of today's media and commentary but that I would say that the, the, that the relevance of that subtitle, you know, went, went by the boards <laughs> Believe
0: a long, me. long time ago. Okay, I can tell you the same thing in our podcast. Many of my podcasts started with a lot of subtitles uh, that I sort of like jettisoned when I realized what was happening. Right. But, but you but you usually do start with an interesting quote, whether it's from an Atlantic magazine or from First Things or Cross Currents or whatever it is, or some sort of, uh, and it's in some sort of different colored font. And then, you know, uh, it, through your analysis, you end up, you know, sort of giving it a little bit of a different angle. And then you go into your toy revart that is sort of like your perspective from a more a toy review. But these L articles are usually like secondary, like right? they're almost like, okay, here's my text message. But by the way, we're about to get to Rishchadosh Elu like we are right here now. And therefore, you sort of had your droshes about you your this of El. So obviously, I, I'd love to be able to have the whole COBRE uh, things alphabetized in my, in my library. But generally, you know, I, I, I could find one here, one there, some of the ones that you've sent me. By the way, parenthetically, I do want you to know that I think more than Time Magazine or even The New Yorker or The New Republic or any of these things, I think Jews hold on to old mishpacha magazines for a lot longer. <laughs> you no, know? I think so. My wife was a mikvah later for many years till before COVID, and she told me that the piles of old mishpacha magazines there was like, you know, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. You couldn't see who the next person in line was because there was such mm-hmm. a huge collection, and I, I think people hold on to them. They have sort of a currency beyond the year, or sometimes even the decade that uh, they were written. I'm afraid,
1: you know, I don't want to get in trouble with my employer, but I'm wondering if that has something to do with the high cost per issue. So <laughs> <because> anecdotally, <laughs> anecdotally, it, it, it seems that uh, they have something in the in the realm of between thirty and forty thousand paid subscribers. But uh, the anecdotal, uh, you know, surveys show that the actual number of readers is about eight times that because uh, the thing gets Everybody, bark-
0: Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, neighbors,
1: yeah. And, uh, you know, and neighbors and, you know, neighbors and relatives, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, you're absolutely right. The, the mikvah waiting rooms and the doctor waiting rooms. <laughs> <laughs> Other places where Jews
0: gather, you know, there's no question. Mishpachah is ubiquitous. So yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and again, which and I think, therefore, there's sort of like a um, a, sh- a greater shelf life. But anyway, so here's something from uh, something that you wrote. It's called "To Fear and to Trust." And basically, you're talking about the uh, kapitol, Hashem Oyer I think I mentioned to you once that it's been a pet peeve of mine. Everybody calls us Wadovid, Ladovid. You have to say Ladovid. Of course, <laughs> you know, you go through Tilim, 150 pro you'll find many of them that start with the word Wadovid, because Dovid was the author. There was Asaf, there was Lam Natsayach. It, it comes from an Amaratzism of the Sefer. But Hashem Oyer has become a minog in many, many kalos. Although I
1: would inter- I would interject to say that that perhaps we could redeem and and rehabilitate uh, that by turning it from ludovid into ludoid given the famous acronym of Anil Anil, Anil- Dovid So if we just call it yeah, but, right. right.
0: right we, 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 let's just misread it. Why, why not? Why don't we just we just mispronounce <laughs> it as well? But okay. Anyway, the point is, yeah, the Lamid, as we know, it means he's the author. But anyway, here's the point. I hate being a stickler on these things, but, um, uh, you know... Well, a, go ahead. A leopard can't change its spots so easy. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, in this article, you have a kasha, and your kasha is that it sounds like, although this is the capital uh, that takes us through Elul and the Yom and the Royum, all the way to Shemir why is it about of Chod? Why is it about, I, I fear nothing, right? And what you develop there. Basically, and I'm being very uh, giving it a very short synopsis, is that the avoda of yira is going to lead to bitachon. In other words, eventually bitochon is the sign of a very healthy soul of someone who has reached the of yira. Therefore, other things around him, things that for other people sort of gnaw at their insides, and they believe. Represent the scariest and most important things in their life, they don't have that era. And what you then go to argue in that article is that you believe, and this is a little sort of a chiddush of yours, that the way to get to era is through diktuka mitzvahs. If we use Elul to be medactic and mitzvahs properly, uh, and we realize how many mitzvahs we have around us, you know, the Chavtschaim was very famous. First, again, this is Kibalevich interjecting here. Uh, Chavitz Chaim was very famous of that he would start the Zman in Radin by telling the Bokhrim about the end of El Zman, that it would end, of course, with those days where they would go to buy their Esroygin, and they would be so medactic, and they would look, they would be so careful, and they would ask Shilas upon Shilas about its Hidur and its Yoifi. And the Chavitz Chaim would say, It's one mitzvah on one day for us. And if it's a Shabbos, the first day of Shabbos, it's bachlal, nishkan mitzvah garaysa. And yet, the amount of energy and dikduk and worry, he says, if we try to employ a percentage of that, or the mitzvahs that we're doing during Elul, then we will have had a real avidah. And we should understand how many mitzvahs are in front of us. You argue that dikduk mitzvahs and especially understanding them, and it comes from learning and knowing, that itself will lead... To Yiras Hashem, I think that's the emphasis of that article. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, I, but I would. I would simply say, of course, that I, I would not
1: presume to suggest that this is the one and only. That there's in any way an exclusive path to Yira. But I, I merely put it forward as uh, I, I think a, a practical, a very practical way. Because you know, when we tell people, you know, Yira is so important. People are kind of left out of sorts, and they don't know uh, what to do with that, because Yira seems, working on
0: Yira seems like such an abstract proposition. All right, so I'll push back. I was criticized over the last couple of weeks by a number of listeners saying, you know, Levich, what's wrong with you? Like, you're such a doormat. But I'll push back just a little bit here. And that is that, I mean, the Rambam, in the beginning of Ilkos and at has a derach for Yirah, right? I know you quote the Rambam Melchus often, but the Rambam Melchus Hesodiyate does say uh, that the derach of Yirah is straightforward. And he wrote, you know, people don't understand. They take Sefer Mada, uh, and some of its sort of antiquated aspects of philosophy as something that perhaps was meant only for, you know, of that door. But the Rambam really meant the Sefer, really for the Hamayin, Marinabuchim and others. That was for the uh, the sophisticated. Uh-huh. The, the Sefer was meant for everybody to be typhus, and the Raman feels that the Derech Tiyro could be by being Mitzbayin in the Briya and recognizing the chachma the immense chachma that fills this Briya, and how one that if he really begins to understand it, how he realizes that he's a, a barrier shuffle Benivze and biyad near to and he has year of the Rabbanu I, I think. Eitan, you got to admit that even though we don't have the clear skies and the mountainous views, I don't know what if, if Fastat had, but we don't have that anymore because we're so crowded and, and we're only seeing, you know, the the car in front of us and, and how to get to, to where we need to go, but there is a way to be misbeinant, even during evil in a way that I think could lead you, I'm not saying not to be mitotic and mitzvahs, but you know, maybe that's something, especially the beginning of that article, Ethan. Sort of like an anti-college diatribe about how terrible college is and what we should do about that. I'm not saying it has to come from college, but ala Avigdor Miller, I think we should still realize what Rav Shach himself said it as well, Besoy that our door has been blessed with with a hiky to be maven de bria in ways that the doyrs Kadmaidim could not. I mean, I don't know. To me, that to me, I, I would like to see more stress, uh, a greater stress on that on that approach.
1: I will give no argument there. I mean, again, many paths up to Har Hashem. But again, I'm just suggesting something which we're doing these mitzvahs anyway, and we really have the obligation to be medactic in them. And again, I explain in the column what I mean by dikduk mitzvahs. What do you mean by that, Kobri? So I explain, and and this again, like a lot of what I write, comes out of personal experience, and I'm really I, I'm I'm really bearing a bit of my soul in these lines here. When I talk about the idea that so much of what we do, as religious Jews, we're doing so many mitzvahs on a daily and weekly basis, but so much of it is blasé in terms of really paying attention to the details to get it right. And, and again, you know, I talk about being dictated in Pashrus. What can I tell you? There's a tremendous amount of laziness that goes into the question of really of making sure that we know exactly where things are coming from and what the the level of ashka that we should be comfortable with, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whether it's when we go to a uh or or just the products that we buy and bring into our homes and so on. Let's stop me for a second, because
0: okay, brachas, I'll I'll agree with you, but you know again, it's there's a safer. That Again, there's been a controversy, Eitan, whether it's true and whether it really reflects Roshlema Zalman's Hanhogas, but there's a paper called Alei Yuval about Roshlema Zalman's Han And it writes there that when Roshlema Zalman was invited to a Hasna and showed up, that even though the hashgacha generally wasn't something he had in his house, but he would not just sit there and fold his hands, but he would partake because he knew the bali simcha, the parents, so to speak, would be looking, up oh, was the ravidim. And he felt, especially since Moses, unless you have a yediyah brura about this specific mashkiach, this specific product, and this specific situation, that there are other considerations. And, and let me just use that story to say that many people use, they weaponize their kpedas and kashras to dismiss people for their attitudes. If they don't, or they aren't as madatik. Especially when it comes, again, I don't have to uh, repeat what happened with the Kopapads, the period that occurred between those that were Talmina and Robert Feinstein, both of them, Zecher Tzadik and Kadoshim B'vrocha. But we know mishpachas themselves were sometimes torn apart. People didn't go to visit, people, right? And and, and even when it comes to Medikus Teyloyev, which really has... Talk about the modern world. I mentioned recently how much we know about the world, how much we know about the existence of these insects and what they look like, etc. But we know that for many, this has become almost a point where they're obsessive, and they can't even be mavat there and recognize that you have to have avusas ava to draw a person closer to you. And I, I think what what it turns into is sometimes obsessive, and it becomes especially people who anyway have that tendency to be compulsive and therefore it's like okay they can thump their chest and say yeah yeah I'm mock but on this you know and and this is something you know over there they they're being over uh, 16 isurim every single time they sit down uh, and have coleslaw so i don't know so you'll get absolutely no argument from me
1: on anything you've said you flag the perennial issue in the human condition, which is the tendency to make religion serve other ends and other unhealthy and dysfunctional ends, uh, a person's particular neurotic obsessions, um, the, the uh, turning religion and halacha into footballs uh, to be used to trample upon bin Adam the and so on and so forth. And uh, these are all, we all know that these are recurrent issues in the human condition. Uh, of which we must be aware and which we must, of course, avoid. But again, the shvil hazov is to pursue a path which, on the other, on the other hand, doesn't use any of these things, which are all very real and, and and very problematic. Doesn't use them to, therefore, basically say, well, you know, okay, then, you know, it's it's all good. So again, th- this is always it's always tricky to make sure that we don't allow either either one of the extremes here to Cause us to turn a blind eye t- toward the problems on the other side of the ledger. But yeah, you're raising you're raising re- real issues that exist, the real individuals and the real families, etc. And again, this is always the the so, to see to it that we're doing mitzvahs, mother We're doing mitzvahs as as a form of way <laughs> not as a form of payback, not as a form of self-aggrandizement, not as, not as a way to inflict pain on, on, on family members or to puff themselves up, et cetera. Right, but again, well, we're, yeah. we're, we're, ta- we're talking about the Diktok Mitzvahs, which, which, which involves being truly Ehrlich, not just in business, but in terms of the things we eat and how we make brachas and how we kill, keep Shabbos, Cheshavs, et cetera, et cetera. That's what I mean by Diktok Mitzvahs, is, is just taking them as seriously as we take other areas of our lives, if we would only follow that one rule, the idea of taking our mitzvah performance as seriously as we take our business affairs and as some people take their sports fandom, I think we'd, we'd be a long ways towards the kind of dictum mitzvahs that I was referring to there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Eitan, it's interesting, you know, you, you know, as you're tempering it somewhat, because obviously you have one article, you say, this, I believe, is a derach for Yerosh Hashem. And, 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 not, not the I, I understand there. right the derach that you're highlighting here, but it's interesting that, that in one of the, another article which you call or from another year has a beautiful I'm not sure what type of shayfer it's from from an ibex or from some sort of incredible impala a very twisty chauffeur. that's sort of like the image in the middle and you call it ulterior motives and uh, in this article you basically talk about the fact that basing yourself on the ramchal. You talk about the idea that the opposite—that people feel that a mitzvah is a segula, right? That we shouldn't start doing this mitzvah, and this will be a segula for ichbeis, right? Like, for example, well, this,
1: this piece—if I—if I can encapsulate it in, in in just a couple of sentences, really, this is a this is a, a piece of social commentary about uh, our contemporary from society, and it's really a critique of what we can call transactional Judaism. Unfortunately, uh, all you need to do is open and turn the pages of your local front publication and you'll see exactly, uh, you know, transactional Judaism springing to life, you know, where it's not about the mitzvah. It's about the personal benefit you're going to gain from that mitzvah. Again, these are all real needs that people have. But my plea in this piece is leave the mitzvahs alone.
0: (laughs) You actually do something quite daring in this article. Where you actually people have, have struggled to figure out what's the avodazar of this manenu, and um, the kutsker, of course, said that it was serving yourself, right? That you can't make yourself into a uh-huh. god, but you actually come up with an interesting angle here saying that you know, in that selfishness, you're actually you turn the mitzvah you know into a type of avodazar this transaction on my terms, like I get it, this is what I'm going to get out of it, and therefore, if it's not completely, W'Shem Shamayim, completely, because this is the will of God, and how high do I need to jump Rabbi but I'm actually noting what is it that I get from it, what is it that I'm going to gain from it, and as I'm moving, my eyes are on the prize, that you actually uh, posit as a form of Avodah Zorah. I suggest
1: that, right, that thinkers who preceded me have delineated that that's the difference, really, between Avodah and Avodah Zorah, is the idea that what attracted people to what was, it was a transactional form of religion where, you know, you 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 gave that sacrifice, you gave that bit of worship to the rain god, and he provided rain. He wanted nothing more of you, whereas a god, the, the one and only god of, of Judaism, says, no, no, I want all of you. <laughs> I want all of you. And that's, of course, very, very scary to people, psychologically uh, threatening to people to give yourself over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. and uh, all the, the various forms of, of idolatry didn't require that. They required you giving some sort of payment, a, a bribe, if you will, and then the God leaves you alone. It's your own devices to pursue your, all of your, your lusts and whatever your personal program is.
0: And, and you would get what you wanted, which is, you know, this specific shidduch, this fact that you would be, be Matsliach, and or whatever it was that you were looking for, right? Or the, the pains would stop in your foot, whatever it is that you're after. Right. Um, right. And, and we know, uh, Eitan, first of all, we know that even by very big people, like Rochai, Zech, and others, that many times when people would come with their problems, that he would sort of like say, okay, be more medoctic in this mitzvah. Okay, be more medactic until it's uh, And people because it's sort of their nature that they need to see that prize. They need to see that low-hanging fruit there that they could somehow, okay, I'm going to do this, this one I'm going to work on, and I'm seeing the change already. And like I said, it's sort of, in a way, Eitan, sort of runs counter to the previous article, because I think you know you expect a lot from your readers. You expect them to have that greatness of mind that you were blessed with. But I think what happens is, is that emphasizing how dictuqa and this is what you have to be into now, especially as our culture and our Rabbeim and our Gedolim are sometimes pushing it as what you need, even if it's as well meaning as our Lashon Hara Club that someone is never sick with cancer and we're going to be macabre on ourselves an hour a day not to say Lashon Hara or learn Sefer Shemir or whatever it is. I think it's all part of that same phenomenon, right? Yeah, I, I, it's
1: not—it's not what I expect of my readers. It's I'm—I'm I'm simply offering them uh, another perspective. And what I'm suggesting is—and I, I think I do mention this in one of these two articles that we're discussing now. I, I specifically raised the idea that listen, what am I saying here? After all, am I running counter to the Chazal that says L'olam lam yaseg and, and my response to that is, but again, re- recall the second half of that statement, which is, Lashmah, Lashmah. but how in the, in our short time here in this world, we don't even have a plan. We don't even have some sort of, you know, long-range plan for how we're ever going to reach that lishma. So again, this is, this is not about, certainly not about expectations of readers Uh <laughs> It's simply a reminding readers of things that I, I think that they themselves would like to pursue that uh, they're certainly aware of. Uh, speaking to a lot of readers who are, who are learned and are you know very well informed, perhaps much more than I am. Um, but it's it's simply the idea of uh, trying to give people a way to set their sights high, well, yeah. not for the short term per se, but.
0: Give them the sense that right. no, but you know, but Aitan, we're actually hearing a, a lot of the opposite in many of this very successful movements.
1: And that's what I'm Yeah, I
0: understand Even who I work for, you know that of course, not only from Howard Jonas who IDT, who are our sponsors for uh podcasts, and, and Abelson and Hyman, but you know, we're talking about Deershoe. And of course, Deershoe discovered that even among the Chachamim and, and great koyl guys and others, the prize is crucial. Now, of course, they all say afterwards, "Well, oh, it didn't make a difference." Of course, but there was something about. And, and you know, let me let me be mitaritzed based on what the word you said before, <miteich> shalei <l'shma> It's in the toich of the shalei l'shma. As you could say, yasak <miteich> adam shalei <l'shma> If the Russian is indeed shemitoich. It might be that in the essence, in the toiches, so to speak, of the loyushma, you're going to find buried in there the wishma. Whereas, if no, this is my way to be mafarness because you have yungalite and eretz stroll that weren't making enough money. Here's their chance by doing this. Let's even forget about the B'nai eretz Yisrael, the Aniyim, that there's a mitzvah mafarsim, mafarness them and raise up the level of toyer and Let's even talk about the average balabas who sees the cobray reportage about how great the Dafyomi the, the, the Siyah Mashas was and he wants to be part of that and I want to be part of that group and I want to have a sense of a chaburo. I don't want to just struggle in loneliness. I want to be part of that. I saw that. I want to do it next time. We're really dangling in front of them. Hey, this is your chance to be part of a movement. This is your chance to be part of a group. Yes,
1: again, this is, again we're, we're, human, we're human beings and there's always going to be an aspect of Shalel All I'm arguing for is the idea That if we inundate people with the sense that you're doing this mitzvah and that mitzvah and and the third mitzvah, and everywhere you look and everything you read is this idea of what's in it for me, then you're hallowing out the mitzvah system and you're hallowing out Yiddishkeit and you're making it just tragically superficial. I don't think there's anything very controversial about that. I think this is something that all of our emphasized. This is not Kobri's Chiddush. And again, Kobe is not arguing for us to turn into an an ascetic community that's going to run for the hills and the deserts and is going to focus only, you know, purely on the altruistic and purely on Sain Hashem, etc. We're we're human beings. We're we're going to remain that. What all I am saying is, is that we've taken a turn very much radically to another pole, to the pole of where we've turned mitzvahs on their heads, Where mitzvahs have
0: become... Are serving other ends, but again, I go back to your first article. I think it's very—it's a slippery slope. Again, if 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 what you're going to be exhorting people is the Dibtukah Mitzvahs, and then this is the Shabbos campaign, this is the Loshon campaign, this is that, and knowing that people are narrow and small-minded, without I think peppering it, tempering it with a little bit of big thinking, Rambam Torah, I think that's what you end up getting. Let's go on to uh, another article that you wrote. It's called Be Beloved. And it quotes one of my, a uh, person who loomed very large in my life. I even named my son after him, uh, Rav Chaim Volozhner. And you mentioned actually one of my favorite Svarim that people don't know about, Rav Chaim's Sefer on Pirkayovice, which I think was Malukit. I don't know if he actually wrote every word in it. It was Malukit from his Talmidim. I'm not exactly sure. But you do mention there um, uh, that Sefer. And you talk about. The idea of is based on the Mishnah and last parak, of Yavis, about Nikre Reya and Ahuv. And you talk about the fact that it's, not, that it's not sufficient for a person to love Hashem, rather, he must work at being beloved to Hashem. And what you end up being Machadish here, and I, I don't know if I have a point of critique on it, but I thought it was very interesting, Eitan, that you note that. Of course we have to believe that God loves every Jew that God loves us all and in some way he loves his the whole beria but what you end up saying here is that it's not just that we you might be loved by God but you're not close to God you don't have kurva to the rabbiner shalom yes the rabbiner shalom never gives up on us the rabbiner shalom loves us just like any father always will love a child no matter what state they're in. But kurva, or kirva as you call it, is missing. And that's what you feel we need to emphasize. And we can't just say that God loves us all. Maybe you want to talk about that a little bit as well. well really, actually, in
1: the piece, I'm really working off of Reb Chaim's own words and then just quote them just briefly. He's referring to the fact that the the Mishnah there in the sixth parrach speaks of the attributes of someone who studies Torah Lishmah and the very first thing on that list is nikra rea oho, that such a person is called a beloved friend, beloved friend, of course, to God, which is interesting. It doesn't say he's called a lover of God. He's not called a rea ohev, but rather rea oho, someone who is beloved to God. It says Reb Chaim, quote, because what is essential is that the person also be beloved, it is not sufficient for a person to love Hashem. Rather, he must work at being beloved to Hashem through performing his mitzvahs and going in his ways. And really, I use that as a jumping off point to focus on, again, some a contemporary ill, which is the idea of spirituality being subjective. So if you're stopped at a light in a firm neighborhood and you look up at the tailgate of the car in front of you, you might, uh, if it's your lucky day, just find that it's festooned with a bumper sticker that says, you know, you know, whatever it is, you know, uh, God, I love you. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's it's, uh, it's uh, light years better than uh, most other bumper stickers that you'll find in the world. But nevertheless, what Chaim is telling us is even more important, or at, let's put it this way, at least as important, if not more so then feeling your love for God is to make sure that you're doing the things that he's asked you to do, and you're studying the Torah where he makes those requests of you to make sure that you're beloved to him. And that's Reb Chaim's point over here. So it's, it's not so much about the difference between God loving us and God being close to us. I make that point simply to say that, of course, surely Reb Chaim doesn't mean to question God's love for us. But what he's saying is, is that there's love and there's love and there's love and there's, infinite levels of, of closeness uh, ascending from that basic love that God has. And what Chaim is saying is, is that the way to ensure that God is indeed close to us, which of course is extremely timely in elo being the month of Kruhubiyosu it is the apex point of the, God's closeness to us in the year. The way to ensure that is, is that we're doing the things that God tells us brings him close to us. I
0: yeah. understand. So again, obviously you know, we have a really, a. Uh somewhat of a, a common theme that from the three pieces. And the fourth piece that I collected here is called Tears of Longing. And uh, basically it's, it's well, I'm, I'm going to start it from a different place than you did. One of the things you mentioned uh, is the Kabbalistic interpretation from the Zoyer, brought down by other achreinim uh, in the mystical event, uh, is the idea of a boch sovivas imo yerach yomim, that the ifastoyer is crying of yerach yomim is that month of Elul. And here you see how significant that month is as a month for crying. And, you know, you do a, a nice chap here with the Gemara and Yevomis about what the crying is about. So, and again, I thought it was a really a, a nice cop based on the Machlikus about what the what the crying is about, whether it's crying over the Avodah Zor or crying over uh, the family. And what you use that is, I think, to really get to something that's... Uh, quite interesting, about regret and recognizing that there's a loss of self and confusion that occurs when you begin a transformative path, especially, as you said, that most of a person, and this, I think, will segue into what I think we're going to end our conversation with today, is that as you start, let's say, even Rosh Hashanah, that's where you're starting to think about things, or your first day of Slichos. You discover that you're, as you say, your ani is still wedded to the things that were exciting you during your non-spiritual period. I specifically want to talk about something that you write here, that elu is for pondering whether we have the inner strength to make a break from our prior attachments, for summoning the courage and daring to take on a new identity, uh, that of a dode and even a tzaddik, and to bear the emotional turmoil it may require even as the past failures are still intact. So what did you mean by that? That struck me, that phrase, while your past failures are still intact. What did you mean by that? I'm trying to be real with my readers.
1: I'm, I'm trying to speak to them where they are and acknowledge the realities of the difficulty of change and say that it's not an all or nothing proposition. And Even if you feel that you you can't, you might want to, but we really can't break free of behavioral patterns, of thought patterns that are many, many decades in the making and and to which you still have a deep emotional attachment. Nothing is hero zero. Nothing is all or nothing in our lives. And, um, you know, L is a time for slowly making our way forward. Towards the akavod, you know, Godola and we at It's it's a lengthy process, uh, and we can we can bring our baggage along with us. There's there's no extra charge. It's not like Kennedy Airport,
0: right? But 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 if you want if you want that next stage to happen realistically, although I am a believer about the almost magical powers of what a Yom Kippur can do, I la Franz Rosenzweig and others. But you do dangle that that sense. Hey, El, at least cry. At least have that cry and recognize, even though, as you say, the failures are intact. Now that it's Rosh Hashanah, we have a series of Mechuva, we're actually going to shoot for something greater. We're actually going to sort of become someone completely different as we exit out of Yom Kippur. And that, for many people, although I actually believe you need to, to emphasize that possibility, but you realize, especially as that mishpacha article will sit there way past Yom Kippur. There's going to be people coming through Yom Kippur and say, well, you know, I didn't get there. I still have those failures intact. Right. I guess
1: part of what I'm trying to do in this piece is give people a sense that the moment that the shofar uh, is first blown, you know, in Elod, you don't automatically have to go from zero to 60 and get into a, a mode. You know, that there is an idea that, no, there, there are these distinct and disparate periods that we have. True is not all one thing. There's that 30-day period during Elul, which is likened to the, to the month-long tortured experience of the Ufas Tohar, crying over the realities of your life as it has been and as it continues to be in the way that continues to be this daunting struggle for you. And there's still time after Rosh Hashanah to then may, perhaps step it up and take it to another level in a seshmashuva if, if you're capable of doing that. But you know that, that's part of what I'm trying to do here is to break things down and show that it's a it's a layered process. Chuva is a layered process and that we're not necessarily, ELO doesn't have to be as daunting and as, you know, uh, we don't have to have the sense that the intensity of the Chuva period has to come down on us like a ton of bricks right at the start of El. part of what I'm trying to do, is to try right. to show that there are, there are different aspects to the, to the Chuva experience uh, during this part of the year. Perhaps us Ashkenazim can't relate to the idea of ELO as this Period of daunting intensity quite mm-hmm. as much as ibn b'Nasvaredim can, who right from the beginning of this month are already getting up before the crack of dawn, you know, to begin with whatever whatever the term is called. And I, I think uh, some of us Ashkenazim say to ourselves quietly, you know, "There but for the grace of God go I," and you know that we, we get to sleep in for another few
0: weeks. No, I, I agree, I, especially as uh, someone very. Uh, intimately connected to the Svar. I, I know. I know that
1: you're, you're someone who has uh, served for uh, quite a number of years now as a, a mani for, uh, you know, a group of, of Svar. Jews, uh, a congregation, and maybe you could speak to the difference in, in the quality of the experience of, of Elo, what, what what it means, if it means different
0: things for, for a <laughs> Cheno for us. I, okay, I'll definitely hold forth a little bit on that. I would say just this piece that that phrase, which I think is crucial, is that the past failures are intact. I think that for many people, there is this sense, like that Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, I heard him say, that he was telling the mere students, including myself, that don't fall into the trap of being mischaret during Elul about bittl Don't do that. You know, there's, there's certain things that that are so there's so much in your kishkas. there's so part of it, that this is almost atasayetzer, for you to sort of like cry over that. He says, learn. Okay, you're just going to be stark. And, and I would say a similar thing, Eitan, that yes, the Yafastoyer is crying over these things, and, and we definitely do need to. But there's something about especially the 20th century and 21st century consciousness that I think sometimes needs to really leapfrog over the sur meirah, his khartus, and begin experiencing as sias And then being able to nod and shake their head and realize, boy, was I stupid? What was I doing there? And again, he said it about lima I'm not ready to say it's about everything. But, you know, I do think that a piece like what you wrote, in some way you're saying you're being realistic. I think in other ways you might be putting a little bit of a, a stumbling block for many because of the hard hooks that we have to, let's say, our, our Yitzhah death and the things that are involved in our obsessiveness. And to cry over them, I think, doesn't really, for today, it's sometimes, I, I think the morale says, Bechiyah is Bechah. It's very much of a personal thing. It's, it's going inward and many times wallowing in yourself. Even when you're crying and hating yourself, You're sort of like enjoying being within yourself, as opposed to walking into some new vista. But let me talk about the Sfardim. It's been a learning experience for me, and it's interesting what really got me into the uh, to be sort of like a monik, so to speak, and a teacher for the Sfardim. Part of it was the fact that I couldn't take the Balabatish minion that I was part of, and this minion arose. This minion was there. I had a Sfardish smicha. My smicha was from uh, Ketatoran, Mexico. I spent a good number of years learning among the Chalabi Jews in Mexico, which are very different than the Chalab stripe that you find here, the SYs, as they're called here in, in New York. But my return to sort of my dalliance and sort of like a uh, connection to the Sephardim really started in about 2009, I guess, sort of when you started writing for Mishpoch almost. And what I've always said was people ask me uh, why I dobbled with the and why I'm with them when I'm not a Sephardi. And I said, well, I get something that I don't get by the Ashkenazim. I said, what is that? So I said, I would say it in, in, in Yiddish or in Hebrew, ashmeichel, achayuch. there's a certain sense that even though they are devoted and committed, but there's a certain sense of spirit of life, of a smile and understanding. And surprisingly, it actually, I think, comes from this type of devotion that we're talking about. Now, we, you have to, to know that this issue about when to start slichos is really rooted, as, as the Goyen points out, in his Aruch, on the discussion that the Rishonim have based on the Machleikas or B'lezner of Yeshua, as to what is Yom Kippur all about? What is Rosh Hashanah all about? What is this day supposed to be? And the svarim who really take things based on the shita that what we're talking about here is not b'ryas ha'oilam. We're not talking about ayoyim haras ha'oilam, or zahayoyim t'chilas maysech, although, of course, that's still part of their Tvila, But it's really the approach that, like Rabbi Yeshua, that it's not b'tishrei benisa nivra nivra'oilam, but this is about the arboyim yoyim of Moshe Rabbeinu's aliyah sahar, culminating and coming down with the luchis. And again, I, what I'm saying here is, is a daver poshut, but I think, therefore, it isn't just the chauffeur blowing, but it's also the sense that these last 40 days were transformative, that there was a sense of mechila even before, but the idea that things can actually be different now and more realistic and can work. And what the Sephardim do is not just hear the chauffeur. And they don't even say Hashem Do, Hashem Ayur B'ishi. There's much more Tehillim being said in the Sephardi, Machser, and Siddur anyway. But what they're doing is they are repeating essentially the same Selichlis for 40 days, actually for, for 40 days. There's differences, but it really comes from, unlike, I think, what, what happens in our Kehillis, where maybe we'll start from Hafei, maybe it'll be a couple of days earlier. We end up really being bombarded or least assaulted or confused by piyutim, and something that we sort of remember the tunes, but much of what the, the grandeur and the power of the piyut is really lost on us, as Shamshon Farsh himself says in Chorev, that he, he he wonders whether we're ever going to come back to a generation that will have the literacy needed to really appreciate the, the piyutim that are so much part of slichos. As far as you, piyutim, first of all, are much more straightforward. They don't have a lot of the literary uh, gymnastics uh, of the Kaller and other of the Rufum and many of the other incredible writers, poets, and, and, and tzaddikim of, of the Rishonim. There seems to have been a, a self-censorship, if, if that's what it was, to insert only these piyutim that were straightforward and were known. So first of all, it's repeating statements that are very straightforward, that get to the heart of things, that have enough sense of, of, of I guess, poetry and power that you can dig your teeth into it. And
1: another part... You know, of, I would say, before you go uh, on to the next point, I have felt that something that's missing in the adult Jewish education, in our schools, uh, in our communities, is, although perhaps there are such classes, but I, I, I haven't really come across them, are classes that, would, that a Rav would or someone else, you know, in in a shul in a community would hold uh, in the weeks leading up to the Yom Nerayim. In fact, to take a few of the of the better known piyutim and learn them together with people in a class, and to give over and to give them and to really deepen their experience on the Yom Nerayim. When they say these piyutim, it's really a real feeling of what they're talking about. And I can say from you know experience having attended the Yeshiva of Staten Island, where uh, Reb Chayim Mintz, who was one of the, I guess, Mashkiach, one might say, in the Yeshiva of Staten Island, he would give a, a few classes, uh, a few shiurim, before, perhaps this was during Aser HaSemayi Tshuva uh, already, uh, or, or even before Hashanah, in which he would at least go through uh, with us the Avodah of Yom Kippur, which is so integral and, and is so central in the liturgy of Yom Kippur, and really enabled you to know what what was going on over there, and it was uh, it was a it was a fantastic experience for me. I tried it once a number of years ago in my shul, but I didn't get a, a great uh, response in terms of you know, people who wanted to attend yeah. such a, such yeah. a shir. But- well, m- maybe
0: if you would have a- announced a shear in the Siva show, maybe you'd get more people. But again, nothing against the sauna or safer. But again, there's what plays, what doesn't play. The problem, Eitan, about what you're saying about prepping people is that you need a lot of prep, and you also need a certain amount of skill, and unfortunately, we go back to you know art scrolls, the translations, and the, whatever it's called, the interlinear ones, sometimes really give people the illusion that they don't need a class you know when it, they're going to have their master, and they'll look and see what the translation is. And we know Eitan, you know even someone like you, who I think prides himself on working on accurate translations realize that the power of the piyut comes from learning it, from recognizing the illusion. Right. It's not about knowing the words. Even just something that would
1: give people a sense of w- what is the theme of this piyut. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and I, I have very fond childhood memories, for example, of my father doing that with me, you know, on, a, on a, an intermittent basis. And if it was your Shana Yom Kippur, I can't remember how old I was exactly or where it was, but, you know, how he would turn to me during the Davening as the Tzibur beginning Vavisa Sahila, Right. And he would be giving me just this emotional sense of what's going on here, this contrast that Python is drawing between the angels on high, who are, who are so enthusiastic about showering God with praise. And God says, no, 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 you no. Know, he turns away from me. He says, that's not what I want. And he turns down to lowly mortal man, right, riddled with sin, riddled with falsehood. And he says, "And that, That's what I'm looking for. That is what I, God is pining for, What is he's yearning for. That kind of sense, the overall theme of what, what that pew is about is something that is still, you know, still anchored in my soul all these many, many, many
0: decades later, with my father no no longer here. Yeah. Right. But 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 anytime part of it was because again, your father, Tom that he was, wonderful Muhammad that he was. Again, the spardom sort of I think go with the reality that you can't throw too much scholastic work at people. And therefore, they felt, and this is something which we can always argue about what makes them pedagogically, the repetition of a, a, a pretty decent, somewhat complex statements and just repeating them. And there's the other part of it, too, Eitan, is that everybody takes part. I think part of what, you know, both you and I, and I was part of a choir as well when I was growing up, is that the Ashkenazim, even though now it's just balitvila, we do have a sense that the balitvila is sort of like the performance. And even if it's, uh, you know, we, we're going to shuckle and do a long shponess, right? But we're all going to trade comments. Oh, you know, how, what do you think of the chazan? How is the chazan? Who's our chazan? I was about right? It, it, and that doesn't mean that you do your own, you don't do your own individual avoda. But I think in some ways, it's an abdication of the type of involvement that we find in the Sephardi world. In the Sephardi world, everybody reads. So everybody's yeah. I, part I, I, of you, it.
1: You, you would know that much more intimately than I, but I, I I've always had that sense that by the Svarnamit's it's much more participatory in that way.
0: Yeah. And, and they actually are able, you know, within even the small Svarnishah kahila that I'm, I sort of run during Yom and Arroyan, they know who's got the talent for which piece, right? And, and and they're ready for it. And there's a certain sense of sort of excitement. They get to Anenu, and they know who's going to say, you know, Elkei Amerkava Anenu, who's going to say. They know who is going to say it. There's like almost like a childish anticipation that really melds with love of God. That doesn't happen in the Chasideh Perhaps you do sometimes. You have uh, people who step up and start singing, and but it's not really part of the piyutim at all, right? They, they somehow launch it to some to some digging. Here, I think they've done it in a way that you really. Feel somewhat of a transform a trans- of a transformation. The far are always out, you know, they're, they're fond of saying, Well, you become a you have to wake up early for a month, but you get to eat kidneys. You know, it's sort of like a tongue in cheek statement. I've heard it often, but it's like, uh, I will say, Eitan, davening among the Svartim at the culmination of the event. Uh, and of course, I have a very Abalabatisha group. I haven't been in Parat Yosef, I haven't been in Ravada Sisashiva, so I don't know. But I, I do believe that you don't have the sort of unrealistic, sometimes fervor that, you know, Yom Kippur sometimes brings out. And again, I believe in Yom Kippur. I believe in his transformative abilities. But I think what happens in the Ashkenazi veld is that you have people depressed by the time Hashanah comes. And they say, what happened to my high? What happened to what I was bubbling over with? I don't find that in my Sephardic Kehillah that way. And I think that some of it comes from the fact that it's much more gradual, it's much more realistic, and yes, on one hand, the Chazonisha pieces are missing. The pieces from the Sanatoykev, there's no Kitzva Kitzvah, uh, Bensien Schenker, you don't have that, but on the other, you, you don't have what I think, and again, you could disagree with me, you don't have, when's the next karabakh you know, going to be inserted like monkey wrenched, so to speak, into the piet And I find that's, you know, I know when I was about in a before I was with the svardim and I was about Tfilah for shachris. I remember calling a very chosh of about Tfilla, and he said, well, here's the songs I use, like here's the tunes I use. And there's a whole array of popular songs that, okay, that'll fit in, that works out. Doesn't that sound somewhat degrading and, and dismissive? You know, as opposed to Sephardim, they're not going to come up with a, like some sort of, oh, where can we insert this nigga there? They've got a messiah, this is the way they've been doing it, and they can actually get stronger, you know, as opposed to, you know, sort of like, oh, that was pretty inventive. You know, as always, there's much to be said for both traditions
1: and both have their rewards and perhaps their drawbacks, you know.
0: I do think, Eitan, though, there is something that we should look into. I think we should look, again, you're not a a revolutionary. You're more a critic and an observer. And maybe I have the soul of a revolutionary somewhere buried under me. But I I would say that I think a call for streamlining and maybe less might be more in terms of Piyotin, in terms of what could be said. Uh, Look, we've already, Eitan, anybody who knows the real Maxer knows, we've already jettisoned so much. If you have a gold Machser, you realize that that so much of Shachra, so much of the beautiful Yoitras, the Zulas, the Oifan, all those things that sometimes the Shemona Esrei and the Piyutim and Shemona Esrei that we say after Misait Chachamim are really part of one composition. And what we've done is we've cut the head off of it because we don't want to stay in Shul too long. So we end up with like this sort of alphabetic acrostic that would work much more beautifully if we saw it as something that was a whole of something that began from Baruchu, but those have been skipped, right? And those have all been taken out.
1: So, think, so one thing. So are, are you making a case for more for, for less is more or more is more?
0: <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying, Ethan, is is that I think what we have is anyway truncated and is anyway incomplete and therefore is confusing. With the Svardim, however, they skip nothing. The Sephardim don't skip anything because uh-huh. the pieces are self-contained. See, people don't recognize what piyutim were. They don't realize the right, history sure. behind it. They don't know that there was Xayra against them, but I'll tell you, what, they don't realize that these are poetic creation. Multi-part creations. part yeah. right, creations. They were also meant to jive with the spirit of that mm-hmm. cheluk of right? Whereas the Sephardim actually do not, they actually stop the Shemines, right, on, on Yom Narayam, and afterwards they say Piyutim before the Hazaras Hashats. In other words, instead, based on this Machleikas, which is so well-developed in the Seferitim and other places, the Machleikas and the G'onim about what, whether we can be mafsik in the Davening, the whole reason why we say Misaid Chachamim, the Sephardim really say okay, we're not going to do Piyutim essentially, we actually have slichot after before Chazar Sashat, whereas the Ashkenazi machzer is forced to insert it within the davening, and many times it goes unappreciated because they don't realize what this is about. And I don't, again, it would be great if rabbis could teach this, but really, as Hirsch said, we need a basic literacy and Havana in Medrash and in Tanakh that I think you cannot create even during the 30 days of El, And therefore, what I would say is, yes, less would be more. And maybe even having the courage, although no, no one wants to buck what Menhugah Yisrael are, to maybe even borrow from the, the Rav Yagon's piyutim uh, and Rav Yudalevi's piyutim for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which most people with a basic Jewish literacy can understand. Look, I don't have to jump on the Ebenezer's bandwagon. About the collar, I'm very happy the collar wrote because it gives a lot of work to people like me, you know, who like to, you know, jump in and, you know, and have a lot of fun. But it doesn't really, as any editor of any magazine and bringing this full circle will tell you, look, you're one of the most gifted writers and your English is, is the king's. And these phrases are brilliant. But the average reader of Mishpochah or the average guy going at the shul, this is way over them and you're not reaching them. And because of that, they're missing so much of what the authors thought the Avodas Hashem should be. Anyway, that's really my. Uh, I don't know if again you can respond if you want. Hey, so I-
1: listen, uh, uh, you know, I've discerned in our wide-ranging conversation this afternoon, there's, there's a certain subtle thematic thread that runs through a lot of it, which is we're trying to bat about the merits of a deeper or a shallower Judaism, and we've taken on, we've addressed in different ways obvious or otherwise, some of the permutations of that question. We've been grappling whether we realize it or not with that, whether okay. we're talking about enhancing the quality of our performance, whether we, we're talking about the question of should we try to introduce at least a bit more altruism into our vaydes Hashem or leave it transactional. We talk about our a recitation of, of of the liturgies and Yom Nerayim. That's a lot of what we're what we're re- really dealing with here.
0: Great summary, Aton, and definitely yeah. uh, for developing a connective tissue here to this talk. But again, yeah. it, it really comes from uh, from a rotsa in It doesn't come from a rotsa t- of taivas nitzuach, and that way, once again, I guess uh, we'll catch everybody hopefully on the other side, right, with another edition of Kli of the Mishpacha. Thanks a lot.